This is I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister Diane Jones. Ladies, this is the show that's here to give you stories of hope and healing from someone who has been there, someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of the trauma of her early years, she went on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plus, she's a virtuous woman who can help you find that woman in your life. Don't let the weight of this world or things that happen to you control your life. This is I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on TogiNet. And now, here is your host, Minister Diane Jones. Hey, people. How's everybody doing? How are you all doing out there in the Internet world? (laughs) Uh, It's good to be on with you tonight. I hope and pray that you are well. I'm blessed. I'm blessed today. Um, I had a bit of a frustrating day, actually, and I don't have those too often, but um, I just seem to run into trouble trying to take care of business, different things that I had on my schedule to handle, and running into problems with um, packages not being delivered or not being able to get a hold of businesses and things of that nature. So that was a little frustrating. And I think that it probably didn't help a whole lot that um, I went to bed thinking about my hubby last night. Excuse me. About my hubby. And um, as as some of you know who have listened to our... um, broadcast last week, we've been working on commemorating the passing of our dear Chris, Uh, and we've been doing our best to do that in um, in, um, fruitful, positive ways. So I spent, um, you know, me, me and my daughter actually since since around the 21st is when we began, um, well, actually probably a little bit before that, but around the 21st we began um, reaching out to different people, for example, the chaplain that supported us at the hospital, you know, when he actually passed, and some of the hospital staff and the two hospitals that he was in um, wanted to do positive things. I wanted to send them flowers and you know, let them know how much we appreciated the care that they provided um, for him. So we just began doing things like that. Um, I finally got around to issuing thank you letters and um, felt inspired and creative, and it turned into more than a thank you letter. It turned into an actual packet because Chanel, who's going to be joining us again tonight, came up with a beautiful um, short story to express and to honor her dad um, called The Intimacy of Death from a Daughter's Perspective. So I was so moved by that that I said, I'm going to add that to my packet. And we had already decided that we were going to 
hold a basketball memorial memorial and fundraiser in Chris's honor on the anniversary of the first basketball memorial that we did when he actually passed. So in the course of doing all these things, naturally it kind of stirs up emotions again, some good, some bad. And um, as I said last week, there was um, some beauty in that whole experience, but there was also some traumatic um, tra- traumatic times and some trauma associated uh, with Chris's passing. So I think that all combined this kind of caused me to be a little bit frustrated and um, a little sad um, missing my love last night, and it carried over a little bit today. But I've been praying. I've been praying and asking the Lord to help me, and I stayed focused. I pressed on and just got done what I could get done. So here we are. Here we are, and I'm uh, very glad. I'm going to pause here. Let's see. Did I cover what I had in my notes for my intro? Um, Uh, Basically, I think for the most part, Oh, I almost forgot this. I almost forgot this. This is one way that we can feel better (laughs) when we're feeling a little down. You know, we like food for comfort, right? And I don't advocate eating bad food, you know, unhealthy food. And so, interestingly, today... I thought about making me a good homemade pot of chili beans. Chili beans are something that I uh, grew up on. My granny, my foster mother, taught taught me how to make some good homemade chili beans. And I just felt like, you know, that would be perfect today for my comfort food. So I put on a pot of pinto beans added my chili powder and some stewed tomatoes and some a can of tomato sauce and my seasonings, you know, garlic and onion, and I hope I'm making you feel hungry because that's what I did for myself today because it was comfort food and and it was healthy food. And then I remembered that one of my neighbors had given me some homegrown green tomatoes. Oh, and so I decided to slice me some green tomatoes. I did coat them in a little bit of cornmeal or uh, what do you call that? It's like it's a a pre-made fish fry batter. So that might not have been the best choice, but that's what I had on hand. And I just did a light coat of that, and I lightly fried them in olive oil. Okay, and then I said, you know what? I want some hot water cornbread. Looked in the cabinet, didn't have any corn meal. So I said, what can I do? I discovered I still had some bags of hush puppies from the fish fry that we had for Chris's birthday last month. 
So Sister Girl got in that kitchen and made me some hush puppies, some fried green tomatoes, and guess what? Then I ran out of time, y'all. I ran out of time, and it was time to get ready to come on the air. (laughs) So my mouth is watering talking about it. I have it waiting for me when the show is over. All I was able to muster up right now is a cup of tea, and I'm drinking almond roasted tea. And on that note, let me say hello to, I won't call her her pet names right now, to my daughter, Chanel Nicole. Hey, girl, you like my intro? I do. I felt like saying hello, hello, right back at you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you put me in the groove. I was like, oh, I'm ready for a bowl. I'm ready for a bowl. That chili sounds good. Oh, I should send you a picture because you know how me and Dad, we used, Dad used to love to send pictures of, of his food when he would cook food, and you would be sending pictures to him when you would cook food. I, I should, I'll send you a picture before I eat. eat. How's that? Sounds good to me. Okay. Well, so what are you drinking tonight? You have a, you have a beverage? Or you, did you have time to get you a beverage? I actually do. I am drinking some tea, and it is elderberry blackberry. Elderberry Ooh. blackberry. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay, so we're decent. doing Yeah, we're doing we're doing pretty good cuz elderberry I'm told is good for you. It's good for you with helping to build up your immune system. That's what I've been told. You heard anything like that? Yes, I have. I've heard that it's very good for you. Okay. So we're being good examples. <laughs> all right, darling. How was how was your day with all that I said about um, Dad? I know that you've been processing this also uh, along with your mom. So how are you feeling? Are you ready to do this? You? I am. I think it always helps to talk about things. I've had a couple of sleepless nights, you know, mm-hmm. just mind running with everything going on in the world and the fact that it's dad's year anniversary. So it's always good to talk. Mm-hmm. Talk about what's inside and don't hold it in. There you go. There you go. All right, people. That's what we're doing. Um we're commemorating minister and coach Christopher E. Jones. This is part two. Um, we don't have a lot of time before the break, so I'll set you up a little bit here. I'm going to go to, uh, looks like the second page of Chanel's short story, The Intimacy of Death from a Daughter's Perspective. According to my notes, we were talking about September 11th when Chris actually got sick enough and had to go to the hospital when he had to go to the emergency room and uh, because he was having shortness of breath. And Chanel was commenting on the fact that he stalled. He stalled and didn't want to stop what he was doing because he was trying to submit paperwork to his job for his 
uh, leave for his leave because he wanted to make sure that I was going to be okay and that his paycheck continued to come in while he was in the hospital. That's the kind of man that he was and still is. He's just in a heavenly form. (laughs) And that's why we miss him. That's why we're commemorating him. And we'll be back with picking it up from there. Has a tragic past shattered your future or your now? Don't let it. This is I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. And we'll be right back after these. Equipping the Saints Ministries. Our mission is to equip and mature the people God calls to do the things they are called to do with confidence and boldness, to create soldiers for the army of the Lord and to impact our communities. We are home based in Waldorf, Maryland. If you would like more information, you may email us at etsministriesinc at gmail.com or write to us at ETS Post Office Box 72, Waldorf, Maryland, 20602. If you are not local, you may participate via conference calls and we can make information available to you by email. E-T-S The Story of Me is a captivating and inspiring account of a woman able to overcome incest, physical abuse, abandonment, and neglect to find a second chance at happiness. It is a story for those who have been rejected, who have dreamt and fallen short, who have survived traumas such as molestation, rape, or incest. The story of me is very inspirational for those who may find themselves in Jones's story. You may purchase your copy of the story of me online at authorhouse.com, this show's host page, amazon.com, or any of the major bookstores. The story of me. Thank God. Welcome back to I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet.com, the show dedicated to helping women find their way back to themselves after innocence was stolen by incest and abuse. Helping you heal. It's what we're all about. It's I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet. And now, back to your host, Minister Diane Jones. people we are back i've got chanel nicole on the phone with me and i've done my intro so i'm going to give her a chance to jump in here um and pick up where we left off um, <laughs> where was that <laughs> dad had been um pos- he was i thought i got further 
Well, we may have, but I think I made you go back because I wanted to actually read some of the things that you had written instead of just talk, oh, talk, you know, like we were rushing. And I said, no, I think that we need to like read because this writing that you did was so good. Um, so, um, all right, so I'll start with the after. After this, we wait. We begin to wait. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after this is when the waiting started. Who we told was extremely limited on purpose because we only wanted those to know who would be prayer warriors and maintain a positive outlook. This group did not include my daughter or my job, and I continued to work throughout this period and care for my child. I must disclose that my parents often spoke about their plans, what their plans would, excuse me, they often spoke about their plans, what their plans would be with one another if they got sick, what their wishes would be for medical measures, and if they, on, and if they passed away. So on the same night he was admitted to the hospital, he had already agreed within the hour to go on the ventilator and be put into an induced coma. This was the last time he verbally spoke. The hospital allowed my mom inside the hospital, on my on my dad's hospital floor, and outside his room, although she had also tested positive. But they wouldn't allow her to go inside my dad's hospital room to hold his hand, give him a kiss, or tell him I love you dear up close and personal before he couldn't talk anymore. She had to watch him from a glass door outside of his room, wave and blow him kisses. This will never make sense to me. Hmm. Yeah. Um, listening to it be read again, it's it's uh, it's reminding me of actually one of the other things that I finally had a chance to do um, during this process, during this past two weeks, week and a half or so, was to not only send flowers to the staff and thank them for the care, those that did work hard to provide good care, but also to file grievances with all three hospitals that were involved because, as we said in the first show, they refused to give Chris the antibiotic, the zithromycin, the ZPAC, that was something that was kind of standard for him. Whenever he developed certain respiratory issues, he had to have that ZPAC to help him fight off whatever he was fighting so that it didn't turn into pneumonia or bronchitis. But this time the devil really got into the the doctor and the healthcare system in general because there was such controversy, I guess, about that, that this doctor refused to give him the Z-Pack. Then when he got to the hospital that Chanel just read about, um, I I specifically requested on that night that he be transferred to um, what I would classify as a, a more professional and a better hospital. I didn't know this hospital at the time, so it wasn't that I had anything against them. We had never been to this hospital before, but we did have a history with the hospital in Bethesda, uh, Walter Reed. And Chris had been there, and I we had had a wonderful experience with the staff there. The staff, the doctors, everybody was professional, and 
it was just, you know, an idea of me wanting him in a place that I knew what kind of care they were going to provide. Well, this hospital, um, following COVID protocols, which abruptly changed and were different than anything that we've ever seen in healthcare since I've been in healthcare. Okay, like she said, I had already been exposed. I was I had already been exposed. I stayed in the same room with Chris until he was admitted to the hospital, okay? But I wasn't allowed to see him. That makes no sense. That wasn't to protect me. It wasn't even to protect them because he was exposed and they were having to take care of him and they were wearing they were wearing protective gear unlike what we have to wear uh, the everyday person has to wear, you know, just a cloth mask or a, just a paper, you know, just standard mask and, and cloth. No, they had specific personal protective equipment to protect them. But the devil made sure that with this pandemic, families were isolated from each other. Loved ones were isolated from each other because care and touch and personal touch are a very significant part of the healing process, people. I want you to know that. It's something that we were taught growing up in nursing, but it was, it was um, just diabolically eliminated from this, this outbreak, okay? So go on, though, dear. I don't want to get on my soap soapbox here, but I did file grievances about that, and we haven't got to the last hospital yet, so I'll save that. <laughs> so go ahead. Yes, because they continue. The story continues. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I should say testimony. The testimony continues. Uh, okay. Day one and day two have passed in hospital, but on day three, the nurse caring for my dad that day called to ask for approval to start dialysis. But in that conversation, revealed that he was already on vancomycin for the MRSA, also known as a superbug. Although the normal common practice is to keep a family updated when any significant medical changes have occurred, we were not notified by the hospital prior to this day that my dad had tested positive for MRSA. This was at no fault to the nurse as she was just getting on shift and solely reviewing the chart for the day. You waiting on me to comment? <laughs> Are you still reading? No, in my letter I go on to explain what MRSA is, but I don't I don't want to read all I, I was trying to decide on if I should read all that. That's that's all that medical jargon. <laughs> That'd be better for you to cover. Okay. Okay. Well, um MRSA stands for methicillin resistant staphylococcus aureus. So it's not just your average staph Arius. It's not just your every your typical bacteria. It's a resistant strain, methicillin resistant strain. So it's that's why it's a superbug is because it is resistant to uh, treatment. It's harder. It's harder to kill. Okay, and from what I surprisingly learned, and I knew when I heard them say this, um, Chris only had one kidney because he had, he had survived kidney cancer and he had lost a kidney. 
Um, but when I heard when she said, oh, well, he's already on the vancomycin, then I knew, like, he's already on the vancomycin, she said, for the, for the MRSA. And I said, when did that happen? She said it as though she thought I knew it already. Well, apparently it had happened in the wee hours of the morning, two or three o'clock in the morning or something. And um, she even gave me attitude when I said, when did that happen? And and she said, well, do you expect us to notify you for every little thing that happens? Every little thing, people. Now, Superbug, when someone is already fighting COVID pneumonia, okay, and then you add something like MRSA on top of it, do your own research. And this, and this story, Chanel, she put... Uh, you know, where she did some research to find out just how serious this can be. Because depending on where this MRSA is, which from from my understanding and his record turned out to be in his lungs, it turned out to be in the exact location of the COVID pneumonia, okay? And from there, he became septic. He became septic and it just went throughout his bloodstream, and he was not able to recover. So I filed a grievance about that, um, just as a part of our processing. I told my kids when I was able to that I would address it, and it took me a year to even be able to, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, to be able to, because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, being vindictive, that I wasn't angry, that I wasn't being vengeful, you know, that I have accepted God's will in the situation and and that that Chris is not with us anymore. But I also wanted to examine, put myself in their place. Could I understand how and what possibly could have happened? Everything about MRSA that I know is that it generally generally occurs in hospital settings from improper techniques associated with invasive procedures or devices such as surgeries, intravenous tubing, artificial joints, etc., but through improper technique, not using sterile technique. So I'm going to stop there because my blood is starting to boil just thinking about how that person responded to me, and thank God I had the Holy Spirit and I was able to address her (laughs) professionally. (laughs) And we'll be back after the break. Has a tragic past shattered your future or your now? Don't let it. This is I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister Diane Jones. And we'll be right back after these. (laughs) A black nurse. This narrative is about the struggles of being a black woman and a black professional in a society bound with racial and gender bias. She has hopes, dreams, needs, 
a purpose and aspirations, but faces constant opposition to fulfilling these basic human requirements. Like so many people of color before her, she achieves some measure of success, but her success is minor compared to what she must do to achieve it. It's time for a change. Get your copy today from AuthorHouse.com, this show's host page, or any major book retailer like Amazon.com. A black nurse. <laughs> Welcome back to I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet.com, the show dedicated to helping women find their way back to themselves after innocence was stolen by incest and abuse. Helping you heal. It's what we're all about. It's I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet. And now, back to your host, Minister Diane Jones. All right, people, I was just looking at where we're going next on here, and I don't think I clarified the fact that I requested a transfer the first night, you know, as when they were getting ready to intubate, when they were getting ready to put Chris on the ventilator. I spoke with the nurse and requested a transfer. Now, mind you, I never got to speak to, to the doctor in charge that night. I spoke to the nurse. And she said she would convey my request. And when I followed up about that request, I was told that the doctor had been notified of my request and that the doctor didn't really have much to say. He just basically ignored me. He just ignored me. So now listen to what Chanel has to say next. My dad's care continued. At times he provided, he was provided meds to balance his infections and underlying health conditions. And at other times, he was taken off some of those pain meds because he was showing signs of improvement. But his lungs were still struggling and needed rest. The hospital suggested a special treatment that they could not provide to him themselves due to not having the equipment. So based on both hospitals' recommendations, talking to the other hospital directly and his chart being reviewed, he was transferred to a second hospital via helicopter on September 18, 2020 only to learn that he that they didn't feel he was a good candidate. He started showing improvement again. This treatment would have given his lungs a much-needed break. A few days later, my mom told me the hospital was advising any family to come because my dad was actively dying. His only remaining kidney, kidney began to become septic because it couldn't handle the double infection. Yeah, that's the part that... Um well, lots of that, lots of that stirs up emotions for me. Um, I should let you talk about that yourself uh, first, if you have anything else you want to say, Chanel, or besides what you just read about it. Um, just, just at that time, at that moment, things were just, it was, everything was just so unsure. It was like one minute they're telling us, oh, he's improving, he's starting to do things on his own. 
then you talk to somebody else and they're telling you a completely different story. And it was like, it went on like this for 10, 11 days. And it, it like, even before we got this call, they were, we were still getting good news. And then it was, it, it appeared out of nowhere. Then we get a call that it's like, no, he's actively going down now. So it's just like your nerves on pins and needles trying to process that. Like, how do you process something that's so iffy, so 50-50? And with me being a medical person, you know, like I said, I wanted the reassurance that he was in the hospital that I was comfortable with. That was ignored. Um, People, you know, if I could advise you anything, and it's harder right now. It's harder right now than I think it's ever been. But to advocate for your loved ones. I'm so thankful that we, Chanel ran across the story not too long ago where there was a woman whose husband was fighting the same kind of battle that Chris was fighting, and the hospital refused to give him the ivermectin treatment, the ivermectin therapy, and she went to court. She was able to get an emergency order, and she went to court, and she got the ivermectin for him. And last, at that time anyway, we don't know his status now, but at that time, he began to respond. He began to improve. And sometimes I look back and I just wonder why, even with me being a medical person, why I wasn't more aggressive, why I wasn't more aggressive, and why I didn't do something similar. Because it's like they just took control out of my hands. Normally, I was able to advocate, but even when I tried to advocate in this situation, they just ignored me. It's like they wanted full control over Chris and 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 I would say other people's loved ones. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know, go ahead. When you get oh, this type of news, mm-hmm. when you get this type of news, your body goes into autopilot. Mm-hmm. You think without thinking. I notified my boss, threw clothes in a bag, picked up my daughter, and I was on the road within 30 minutes. During my six-hour drive, I had to explain to my daughter that her papa was sick and continually pray and ask the Lord to let me make it. Just let me make it. And we did. That night, I got to see my dad through that same glass window. He could not hear me. I sang silver and gold to him, prayed for him, and told him that that we were here and that he was not forgotten. He was not alone. Now you see throughout my dad's hospital stay, we had no direct contact with him. We repeatedly asked, but they kept telling us the Zoom wasn't available. So he heard none of our voices for 10 days. And if anyone knows my dad being around his wife, daughter, son, and grandbaby was a month. We all continually needed each other's love as it was the fuel of our lives. That first night I arrived, it was disheartening because when I spoke to the doctor, you could tell the vibe that she gave was that she had already given up on my dad, but we were still trusting the Lord's will to be done. We had just arrived, and it it hadn't been 24 hours yet. They told us my dad would not make it through the night, but he did. Even that is kind of 
hard to just relive that because I can just still see the doctor's face and her demeanor and you know you're already going through hardships and trying to process something that is traumatic mm-hmm. something that's unexpected and then you have a doctor in your face basically she was disrespecting my mother because she was saying things to me like well your mother this well we told your mother this but she kind of implying that my mom wasn't listening and I'm like thinking to myself we literally like I literally just got off the road from a six-hour trip like straight we're just getting here like give us a minute to process what is happening mm-hmm. like you're out of line and I, I understand like you know a lot of times they tell you when a person has actually passed that that doctors and nurses have to say the word like they're dead in order for it to register in people's minds. But mm-hmm. at that moment, that's not what was happening yet. That that right. final breath had not been taken. So it was like right. the wrong moment for that. And she was the one, if I'm not, she's the one who, who called me. She had called me. And, so, and like you're saying, it wasn't so much even what she was saying. It was her demeanor. She was cold and mean Mm -hmm. she was cold Mm -hmm. and mean because she had already came at me with that same attitude and like I was telling one of the other doctors it's like well okay you guys you guys recommended that I have him flown to this new hospital because you said you had a treatment there that the first hospital didn't have and Mind you, I had already asked the first top hospital to transfer him, and they wouldn't until he got so sick, until he got worse, okay? Right. Then when he got worse, now you want to transfer him, and then I transfer him, and then you tell me he's not a candidate for the treatment that I transferred him for. And mm-hmm. so can you imagine this is what we're going through, people? Mm-hmm. And so I even said to one of the doctors, I said, if that was the case, then I wouldn't have put him through, him through the trouble of being packed up and, you know, flown. And then the doctor said, oh, no, 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 no. It was good that you brought him here because we do have other special treatments that that hospital didn't have. And then no sooner than we get him there, we got him there on the 18th. And then like on the 20th, basically. And and that doctor told me that he had already started to improve as soon as he got there. That is ventilator uh, um, uh, settings had been reduced, that he wasn't requiring as much assistance. That was the first report that I got. But then all of a sudden, this doctor that you're talking about, this female, is giving me attitude and saying, like, you know, you guys are just making him suffer. I mean, she she told our son, she told Ephraim the same thing as soon as he got off the road. Now, she was also the one who said, hey, he's actively dying, and if anybody needs to see him, they need to get get here so that they can see him. But as soon as you guys get there, then she's telling you that I'm the culprit that I should be taking him off the vent and I'm making him suffer. I mean, it was, I thank God that I know God. I thank God that I know God because I had to check her. 
I had to check her, and I had to do it mm-hmm. professionally and kindly and tell her, look, we're going to fight for him. We're going to fight for him, and we're going to give him every chance that there is. Otherwise, I should have never even transferred him, you right. know? My Our son, Ephraim, said, Mom, when he when he he got to, you guys got to go in and see him through the glass like you described, and then he said, "Mom, the atmosphere there is so depressing. It's so depressing." And he said, and he said, they're all acting like they've just given up on Dad. Well, even in healthcare, there it used to be a time where people understood. People understood that we did all that we could, but then there was still something called a miracle. There was still something called faith, and they didn't take that away from people, you know? They would tell them it's not looking very good, you know, now we need a miracle, you know? I, I agree with what you're saying. He was, he was his, his little worker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now they already took away the personal touch. The Zoom wouldn't work, but they couldn't even put a phone next to his ear. Neither hospital um, would put a phone next to his ear and even let us talk to him. More after the break. Has a tragic past shattered your future or your now? Don't let it. This is I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister Diane Jones. And we'll be right back after these. Millions of people are sexually abused each and every day. Not just by rape, child molesters, or pedophiles, but by choice and through lifestyle preferences. Who would enjoy being raped again and again? Why is rape spiritual as well as physical? Can a sex offender be healed from abusing others? Find answers to these and other questions in the pages of Overcoming Sexual Abuse by Minister Diane Jones. Available online at authorhouse.com, this show's host page, amazon.com, and any major bookstore overcoming sexual abuse. This is the Tokenet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer, Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, Trisha Goyer, that's G-O-Y-E-R, dot com. Trisha's vision is to be a voice of hope and possibility for teenage girls, pregnant teens, mothers, and wives. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living to do? Yes. Start living inspired with Trisha Goyer. 
Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Thank God I am free. I am free. Welcome back to I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on Toginet.com. The show dedicated to helping women find their way back to themselves after innocence was stolen by incest and abuse. Helping you heal. It's what we're all about. It's I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm free on Toginet. And now, back to your host, Minister Diane Jones. Okay, people. So... Since I'm a medical person, you know, uh, I think it was around the 20th um, when um, Chris did begin to decline again, and uh, and it seemed to be um, just a rapid rec- uh, a rapid decline. Like Chanel said, you would talk to one person, and they would say, "Well, for example, for example, the nephrologist told our son that you know um, his kidney." will start to respond again if he responds, if he responds, if he starts to get better. So that gives you some hope. But I even told this doctor, Satan's agent, that I understand the gravity of the situation. I understand what you're describing to me. But at this point, all we have is hope and faith, and that's what we're going to hold on to. We need a miracle. We need a miracle, and that's what we're going to hold on to. So I'll let you pick up. Um, um, oh, and before I say that, but she made it a point to tell me, people, she made it a point to tell me that if his heart stops, we're not going to do CPR. Now, Chris was a full code. If any of you understand what I'm describing, a full code means that he wanted to be um, aggressively re- resuscitated if necessary. And we had made that clear from from the first hospital to the second hospital. But this woman told me that if his heart stopped, she was not going to allow the staff to do CPR. Um, told us on the 21st, that morning that he was actively dying for us to get there. That's where we're at. The 20th. You know. Huh? I said the 20th. <clears throat> On the 20th. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, blue, so, well, uh, go ahead. My mom was not allowed to go inside the hospital at this point. as She was still in her quarantine period, but with no symptoms. And we also could not touch her. Imagine that your dad is actively dying and you can't touch him or your mother. I wasn't allowed to hold their hands. The next morning, we stayed in front of the hospital all day throughout the night until early into the next morning. Your body goes into survival mode and you feel no thirst or hunger. But force yourself to eat at least once per day because you know you should. Thanks to the hospital chaplain, he finally got to talk to my dad via Zoom on September 21st, 2020. And he got to hear our voices for the first time. 
which is maybe what he needed to feel comfortable before leaving this earth physically. I like to think this. I like to think this is why, because they say people in a coma can still hear. Mm-hmm. I didn't get much sleep, so around 5 a.m., I called my mom and I started to talk to her about Davis and Goliath and reading the scriptures in my true fashion, in character. Despite the circumstances, I was able to make us both laugh, which which dad would have enjoyed. Mm-hmm. We hung up and tried to get more sleep, but my mom called a few hours later saying, I need you guys to come outside. We were staying in a hotel. I instantly started to pray and asked the Lord to prepare my heart for whatever news we were getting ready to receive. My brother and I approached the truck. My mom cracked the window enough to stick out her gloved hand to hold ours and said, the hospital called and dad is gone. All I could do was say no. No, no, what? And she repeated, dad's gone. On September 22nd, 2020, at 7.42 a.m., my dad was gone. As I walked away from the truck, I collapsed and screamed. A repeated curdling scream and said, I hate you, devil. I couldn't even contain myself for Nevaeh. To my surprise, my seven-year-old comforted me. I told her, Nevaeh, I have to tell you something. Remember when Precious got sick and she had to, and before I could finish, she asked, did Papa die? I said, yes, baby. And she began hugging me and telling me everything would be okay. I will never forget everyone's scream as one by one, we all had our moments. We returned to the hospital and got to say our final goodbye. When I looked through that same glass door, I personally witnessed the glow of the Holy Spirit surrounding my dad from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, something that I had never experienced in that way before, and that gave me comfort that he was good. He was with the Lord, and he looked much younger than he did the day before. I told him everything would be okay, that he didn't have to worry because my mom would be good and I would take care of his pool. (laughs) Yes, his pool. But I forgot to tell him that the grass would be good too. But then I had to go into business mode. Asking what is the next step? The wonderful nurse, Emma, began to explain the process. And you must sign documentation. But I will never forget that Emma was not afraid to touch me. She placed her hand on my right shoulder and gave me condolences. I lost my place there. I'm sorry. Condolences. And she told me that my dad was not alone when he passed, that they had his favorite music playing, and he held his hand until he took his last breath. At that moment, unknowingly, Emma gave me exactly what I needed, human contact. I am forever grateful for Emma and will never forget her face. You see, a doctor is important, but a lot of times it is the heart of a good nurse that does the real work, the needed work. A good nurse is the backbone of a hospital, enduring many hardships and sacrificing their own life to care for other people's loved ones. Thank you, Emma, for having the heart of a biblical servant. 
I could tell. I could heard you heard you got a little choked up there, and um, I I could feel I could feel some of that all over again myself. And I I'm so thankful that um, once they said Dad was actively dying, that they did call in the chaplain. And I was able to speak to the chaplain, and she asked me, how could she support me? How could she support us? And I told her that I have been asking to speak to my husband for the past 11 days, 10, 11 days, from from 9-11 till the 21st, which was 10 days. And I have not been able to see him. I said, he needs to hear our voices. He needs to know that we are with him and that we love him. And she said, I'm going to go in Jesus' name. She said, I'm going to go in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to get on that. I'm going to get on that right away for you, Mrs. Jones. She said, it doesn't always work, but... Sometimes it works, and we're going to trust the Lord. And within a very short period, probably less than 20 minutes, she called me back and said, we've got it set up, Ms. Jones. I found the Zoom. Now, the first hospital said the Zoom equipment was broken. This hospital, they just kept ignoring my request. They kept telling me, we're going to set it up the next day. We're going to set it up later tonight. We're going to set it up later. Now, I'm a nurse, so I know what it can be like being on the other end. I know what it can be like. I've worked in critical care. i worked in emergency room. I've worked in acute care. I know what it can be like. But when you're telling me that someone is touch and go, I would have made it a point. I would have made it a point. If I had to get the chaplain in sooner, or the um, there's like a department, I forget the, uh, what do they call this department? Palliative care. They even called me, and I told them my request again. And they couldn't make it happen. Palliative care is supposed to be to support the family. Okay? I'm not naming the hospitals yet, because I have grievances in the works with them, and I'm waiting to see how they're going to respond. But um, I will have no qualms talking about these things openly, because I think other people should be prepared for these kinds of experiences and advocate. Advocate. Emma was human and she was professional, and she was good at her job. The chaplain was a godsend, was a godsend, and a blessing to us. Those were moments that we knew that God was walking us through this horrible, painful ordeal. We've only got a minute before we end. So it looks like we got through a couple of pages tonight. And we have two more pages to go. So it looks like I'm going to have to have you come back, daughter. Sounds like it, because it, it, the, the testimony continues. It continues. 
Thank you for checking. I'm calling it a short story, but it is a testimony. It is a testimony within the story. So we've got to bring, we've got to continue it. We've got to finish it. We are having a memorial for Chris on the 9th. That's this Saturday. If you want to support that effort, reach out to us at etsministriesinc at gmail.com. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.